Welcome to the Gathering at Adel. Today's message is continuing our series through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus walked on water. Uh, today we're going to be out of Matthew chapter 14, looking in verses 22 through 33. And what a, man, this is, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There's so many good stories, you know, but honestly, I think like, you know, we, we, we sing songs that, that talk about our identity with Christ, because for so long we've been told like that we're sinners, that, that we're, we're, we're wretched, that we're, that, that man, what, what, if you, what if that person walked in here today? What would that happen? What, the roof would fall in. You know, for so long we've been told that we're just evil people. And we sing so many songs about our identity because until you understand who you are as a son or a daughter, you're of no use to anybody else. I mean, if you are struggling and you find your identity in, a, in an addiction, you find your identity in your job, in your bank account, in, in whatever else it could be, in your favorite sports team, in your kids' accomplishments, if you find your identity in those things, you're no good to anybody else. So we sing songs that talk about who we are because as soon as you realize who you are, now you have value to the world around you. Why are there still lost in Jeff's neighborhood in Strawn, Texas? Because Jeff is still struggling with who he is. Man, if I, if I knew that I knew that I knew that he loves me and it doesn't matter if they reject me, then there'd be no lost in my neighborhood. You know, I mean, we sing these songs because we have to get the identity of who we are. We are sons and daughters. We are not sinners. We were sinners that have now been saved by grace. And now that when Jesus looks down upon us, we're not sinners anymore. He doesn't see our sin. What he sees is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers it. And so we sing these songs about that. And sometimes it can seem uncomfortable and it's a little intimate. And he's asking me to sing these things, these words. And it's like, because the world will tell you that you're a sinner and that you're no good. The world will tell you that you're a drug addict, an alcoholic, that you're an abuser, an adulterer. But the word of God speaks something totally different over you. I mean, he begins to just speak that you're a son and a daughter, that, that you've been adopted, that you were once a foreigner, an alien in, in a new land, but now you've been adopted into the family of God. Why, why do you think that he gave them new names, the disciples? Because they were somebody, but now they found their identity. You know, Simon was called Simon to everybody else, but to Jesus, he was Peter. And and we're going to talk about Peter today, and we're probably going to call him a knucklehead. But, But what did Jesus tell Peter? He said, you are the rock upon the that I'm going to build my church upon and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the world might call you a knucklehead. The the world might call you foolish. But you cannot let that be your identity. You cannot get worth and value from anybody else other than the father. Nobody has a right to tell any of my kids anything. Oh, you're... You're, you're a screw-up, and not, not necessarily you. No one's ever said that about them, or, or if they did, they were buried six feet under, right? Like, you don't have 
a right to tell my kids, you're no good. Look at you when you're going to figure your life out. No, because they don't get their worth from you. They get their worth from their father. So why do we sing songs that talk about our worth? Because we're allowing the father to give us our worth and our value. The world will tell you one thing. And you can say a lot of good things about my kids. But it's only their dad that can give them worth and value. Today we're, we're talking through faith and, and what that looks like. There, there's a time in my life where we've been at a couple of churches, uh, really honestly three churches. We were at one uh, Christ the King Covenant Church for eight years. I was the youth pastor there. The Lord moved us to Tyler, which is, I'm, I'm going to get into that story, uh, for one year. I was at the gathering at Brock for 10 years, and we've been here almost a year now. And uh, we're not church hoppers. We're not people that are blown by the wind a lot of times. You know, we're, we're pretty steady. We're pretty loyal people. And I can remember the, there was a time where we were serving in capacity as the youth pastors at this other church uh, here in Weatherford. And loved that this the church that my wife grew up in. Her dad was an elder in. Uh, honestly, they, they delivered me out of so much religion and tradition that I, I never knew Jesus until I found that place. Be, because before that, it was just religion and showing up on Sunday morning and living like the rest of the world the other six days. And so grateful for our time together there. Uh, there, there, there came a time towards the end where my heart grew frustrated because they were going in a, in a path that I did not feel comfortable with, but I didn't have my release from the Lord yet. And, and there were many times where uh, I would call my wife and I'd be like, hey, babe, I'm just going to pack up my stuff and come home. We'll, we'll figure something out. And she says, have you prayed about it? <laughs> All right, never mind. I'll call somebody else who's going <laughs> to, bad idea. There, there came a time where the Lord released us out of that place, and man, we were blessed by them. They blessed us so richly and uh, still great friends with a lot of the people there. But the Lord called us to a place, uh, uh, Tyler, for, for exactly one year. And I remember I got a phone call. I was uh, doing a retaining wall out in Strawn, and I got a phone call from a contact from a few years ago, and uh, he said, Hey, Jeff, are you still doing concrete work? I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm in the ministry, still doing concrete work. He said, all right, do you want out of the ministry? And I'm like, what are you talking about? But yeah, I mean, I do. Like, how do you know this? You know, he, and he, he's, a, he's a Christian guy. And I was like, all right. He goes, hey, man, I got an opportunity, full-time job out here in Tyler. Uh, family's going to be treated well. And uh, I was like, man. Sounds good. All right, let's so drive out there, me and my wife. Uh, of course, I tell my wife about it, and uh, she's like, nope, that's not it. I was like, okay, babe, let's just drive out there. Let's go give them an interview. And uh, so we, we drive out to Tyler. They take us to lunch, have a really great time. They give us an offer sheet of what the job would look like, and we're like, once again, I'm like, dude, that's it. You know, like, Man, I'm, I'm working one day a week as a youth pastor at Christ the King and, uh, you know, working one, I get, getting paid for one day, working about 40 hours there and then working in concrete. And I was like, man, I, I graduated like a senior class uh, from my youth that, man, they just held my heart. And I was like, man, I, I, I honestly don't know if I can ever love youth like this again. 
I mean, I loved them. They were with me from sixth grade. One of them is here. Uh, Josh plays our cajon. Uh, I mean, just loved, loved those guys. And I was like, babe, I, I think this is it. I think this is what we're supposed to do. And uh, we, on the way home, you know, it's a th- three-hour ride, and I kind of tell her that, like, in the first 10 minutes because I'm excited. That makes for a long three-hour ride, right? <laughs> Not a lot of talking going on there. Uh, Weatherford was everything. She grew up here. Our, our families are right here in this area. Our job, our church, like, everything was here. And I was like, babe, I, this is it, man. We got to do it. And she, you know, she was like, all right, you go out there, and I'll join you later. And I was like... All right, that's good for me. So uh, I go out there a month early, and uh, kiddos were finishing school. She was pregnant with somebody, probably Ben. Yeah, I think it was Ben. There's so many of them, eight of them. It's hard to remember, like, timelines and dates. We're lucky if we have all eight, you know, all the time. But uh, now there's nine because Kendall married to Noah. Now we have nine. I don't want to confuse that. But uh, I was like, all right, I'll go out a month early find a place to live. We'll do that. And I mean, man, dragging my wife out there. She's not happy about it. But I had, a, I, I had something in my heart that I was like, this is it. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. So we go out there, we get there. And man, I mean, it was wonderful. Everything that you can imagine. I mean, it was, the company took really good care of us. I mean, they, they had people that mowed our yard, cleaned our house, which Lauren cleaned before the cleaners got there because it's weird, you know. But like, uh, just took care of us. It, it was a great place to, to land from eight years of youth ministry to where, you know, youth, youth pastors, I don't know if you have one, had one, or when we get one, but please be praying for them because, man, they, they give everything, you know, like they, 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 40 hours never exists, you know, it's, it's so much more. And so it was a great time and man, everything went perfect for 11 months, 11 months. And I was like, man, something's not right. I'm, I'm getting something in my spirit, and I'm like, uh, so I, I go to her. I'm like, hey, babe, we're supposed to we're supposed to go back to Weatherford, and she's like, no, we're not. I was like, all right, listen here, you didn't want to come, now you don't want to leave. Like, what are we talking? Like, how, are you just doing this on purpose? And she's like, man, we're not supposed to leave. I was like, babe, we are. She goes, fine, let's leave. So we come back to Weatherford, one year from the date, one year from the date. The kids had to finish school, one year from the date. And I mean, you talk about joy just coming back to this place, but when we look at faith, I think so many times we want to know what the next, not just the next step is, but the next step and the next step and the next step. Like, Lord, I'll go here if you'll tell me in five years where I'll be. But, but faith doesn't work that way. It would be so awesome to know all, all of that but then there would be no need for faith. Faith is consistently and continually looking to Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. Faith is consistently and continually looking to Jesus. What that, what that looks like is in the word, Psalm 119 says that, that the word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. So, so for faith to be this thing that is consistently and continually, you might be say, saying, Jeff, what are you thinking right there? That doesn't sound right. To consistently and continually be looking to Jesus, just like it says, the word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It is the lamp for this step and this step 
and this step, but yet my whole path is lit up also. The, faith means to consistently look at him. Like in this step, I'm going to look at him and I'm going to look at him. And in five years, I will have consistently and continually looked to Jesus. So that's our, that's our big phrase today. Faith is about consistently and continually looking to Jesus. Now, you might not have like gone through the same thing as me, a big move. But there are so many times in our lives where we encounter things, whether it's a big move, whether it's a health crisis, whether it's something with our kids, where we're just like, man, Lord, I, I know I'm going to get through it. I would just like to see it. But the word says we live by faith and not by sight. We, we want to see the next step like, Lord, I'm okay, but just let me see how you're going to do that. And it just doesn't work that way. I, I don't know how the world does it without Jesus. I mean, you, you hear of these health crises, relationships go, falling apart, and you're like, man, how do they do this without Jesus? Like, I mean, I'm struggling here, and I love Jesus. He loves me, and I know all of it's true, and I'm struggling and we look at the world and we're like, man, how do they do it? And the truth is they're not doing it. Look at divorce and addiction and suicide. They're rampant in our culture. We're trying to fix problems with solutions that don't work. The only answer is Jesus. Every societal problem that we have, the answer is Jesus. Divorce's answer is Jesus. Addiction's answer is Jesus. Sickness and disease, the answer is Jesus, plain and simple. Like, I mean, I'm glad some people are excited about it because I'm excited about it. There's nothing else. And you're like, Jeff, that's so simple. Jeff, how, well, how, how does that work? It's by consistently and continually looking to him. We're going to read, it's like 12 verses, okay? So stick with me. It'll be up here on the screen if Clinton's quick enough. Let's see. Okay, there he is. Challenged him. All right, here we go. This is the story for today. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, battered by the waves and because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But he saw the strength of the wind. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that, that it does not return void. And so, Father, we pray that the, the mission, that the task that you have for your word today in my heart and in my friends' hearts today, Father, that it would not return void. We love you. Amen. All right, kiddos, y'all heard that. Heard the, how many of y'all have heard the story of him walking on water? Kiddos, there, there's some. 
Some, Ben, you're under 18, you're a kiddo. Thank you, Hattie. All right. We got one. Who is this? Alice and Becca holding up each other's hand. You know, the kiddos are in here today, but what, I'm going to ask a question. You can just, uh, you don't have to raise your hand. This is at school. You can just yell it out. But what did the disciples think and how did they feel when they saw Jesus walking on water? All right. What, 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 what did they think or how did they feel? What is it? They were scared. Good job. Why? Yeah, good job. So it says that, that the boat was some distance out. Jesus began to walk to them. Let's, we're going to take a quick poll. Uh, kiddos under 18 to participate. Here is a, if you were at my house church, you don't get to answer this one over there. No, don't. Here's a up for grabs is a $10 Ironworks coffee ca gift card because I hate coffee, but whatever, I had them left over. All right, so kiddos, how far out do you think Jesus had to walk to them? Nah, shut it. He's a genius. Huh? Two miles? Nope, y'all already answered. How far? Seven miles, that's a good one. A hundred miles? Y'all are going to be really disappointed then. Most people say feet, but whatever. How about you? Ten miles? We got one more in the back? Quarter of a mile? A hundred feet? How much? A thousand? Five miles. The actual answer as blurted out by Elijah, which if you know him, that's normal, uh, is three to four miles. Like we talked about this with our house church kids. And I mean, I think when you think about it, you're thinking like a hundred yards, but someone's still going to get the coffee thing because I don't want it. So here you go. Whoever wants it. Ah, uh, you got to be quick. Ah, uh, but I think when we think about this story, we, we think that he was just like right there, like a hundred feet, a couple hundred feet, half a mile, a quarter of a mile. But Jesus walked on the water for three to four miles. I don't want to walk on land for three or four miles. I don't even want to do like the airport things walking. I don't want to do that for three miles. Like, but Jesus walked on the water. Not only did he walk on the water, but it was in the middle of a storm. So like, can you even picture this? He, it's not walking on your swimming pool. The storm was so severe that they were going against it. And they were going nowhere. The wind and the waves were crashing against them and they were stuck three to four miles out. And Jesus just walked on water. Kiddos, not in my house church. Uh, how did Peter demonstrate his faith? By sad. Must be reading out of the message translation. <laughs> I'm joking. I like that one. Don't hate me, please. If you're offended by that, send an email to brady.sandlin at gatheringadel.org, all right? <laughs> how do you think they felt? All right, like how did Peter demonstrate his faith? By getting out of the boat, right? Like 
That, that took something out of him. What caused Peter to be afraid? If you were in my house church, you can answer. What caused Peter to be afraid? The waves. All right, perfect. But, you know, when, when we look at this story, it's so easy to, to just skim past it. In these 12 verses, there is so much depth that we just begin to like, man, this is crazy. But this story is so crucial in the story of Jesus. Because when you begin to look at where he just came out of, he just fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. Unbelievable. The people began to go, man, maybe this is the guy. It says that the crowds began to say, hey, wait, wait, we're going to anoint you as king. You know, before he was like a good person, a good teacher, a healer, maybe a prophet. And now they're like, hey, but wait, this is the king. Let's anoint him as the king. But Jesus, and why this is so crucial, because Jesus is saying, wait a minute, you want to anoint me as a king here? Man, I'm so much more than that. Not only am I more than that, let me demonstrate that for you. Because up until this point, the sea was something to be afraid of. The, 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 in biblical times, like the sea was darkness and evil. It was uncontrollable. It was associated with death, darkness. And so people were afraid of the seas. And so Jesus comes out of that like, hey, you, want, you think I'm a king? For your earthly kingdom, you want to use me just to kick the Romans out and to get your land back? He says, wait, I'm going to show you who I am. I mean, when you look at the, the seas were to be feared, only God had power over the sea. You remember the, the Red Sea? He, he parted it. Not only did he part it, but he stopped it. He controlled it. Job is, is having a, a fit at this point. Job 38, you know, and the Lord responds to me. He said, hey, Job, where were you? Where were you when I told the seas how far to go? Yeah. Up until this point, God was the only person who had control over the sea. And so Jesus in this story is saying, let me show you who I really am. Do you remember just a few chapters before this? It says that Jesus cast some demons out of some men. Into pigs. And where do, where do the pigs go? Into the sea. Evil. Death. Darkness. And so Jesus is saying, hey, wait, I'm going to show you this. And what's interesting is when Jesus gets up there and they think it's a ghost. And he says, his response to them is, don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus walks on the water. He calms the water. He controls the water. When he says, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. When he says, it is I, it's the same word that says, I am. Yep. Yep. So Jesus, why is this crucial? Because just like we have to figure out who we are, Jesus had to show them who he was. He said, I'm not a king to be used for your own earthly things. I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a healer. I'm not this thing. He says, I am. Th th those Greek words are, uh, it's two words where he says, it is I. And it's I, me, ego. I, me, ego. And it means I am. His disciples see him. They're afraid. They think it's a ghost. And he says, have courage. I am.
do not be afraid. When Jesus and Peter get into the boat, the disciples worshiped him. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. They got it at that moment. No longer was he a healer. No longer was he a good teacher. No longer was he a carpenter. He was the son of God. We so often try to do the same thing to define Jesus or to uh, tell him what to do. And he says, you don't get it yet, but you will. I mean, can you imagine like, like when you just look at the things that we begin to say, like we pray for healing in our body. Oh, Lord, I'm sick. I've got this cold. When Jesus says, man, I, I came to heal your body, your soul, your mind. I, like it's all going to prosper. Like, like we're so small in our thinking of Jesus. Just as they wanted to make him king over an earthly kingdom, he says, uh, he's saying to us, you don't get it. Like, like you're praying for your marriage because your spouse won't talk to you and she's mad and you just, you just want to get back to the place where she's talking to you. Or he, maybe I was using a hypothetical example up here. You know, I'm joking. <laughs> and you're praying just so that there's peace in the house, but maybe Jesus is saying, man, you don't get it yet. I don't want there to just, you to just be happy with each other. But, but this marital covenant, it, it's when two people come together and it's a force to be reckoned with for the enemy. Because he's saying you don't get it yet. We're praying for, for money for a bill because it's like, man, Lord, we're short this month. We're praying for this. But God is saying, why are you asking for this? I'm going to give you generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like we're praying for our kids to, to be able to learn common core math. And he's saying, man, you just don't get it yet, do you? I want your kid to shine like a light in the darkness. Quit praying for him to get calm and core math. Pray that he would be a light in the darkness. Pray that he would just be a friend to all. Pray that he would just share the love of Jesus. You're just praying to get through the next shift of work. Right. And Jesus is saying, man, you're, you're doing it again. You're just trying to get through work, but I've placed you there for a purpose and a reason. Like, like, we're doing it all over again. He, we, we keep making him too small. Yes. He's much bigger than that. Sometimes we're like, we just see him as healer, provider, this and that. And he's saying, man, I, yeah, I, I can do that, but I am. I am. We're worrying about lost dogs and lost keys and lost sleep, but who's praying for the lost? We spend so much of our time searching for things that we don't even need. Our mind is wrapped up in all of these material things. But who's praying for the lost? He's so much more than that. Faith is consistently and continually looking to Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean avoiding adversity. Let me just get that really straight. Like We're not preaching a gospel other than the one that Jesus preached. He said that they, they will hate you, but they hated me first. He said, consider it pure joy. This is James. Consider it pure joy when you face trials and temptations. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say false things about you for my name's sake. He said, you will be hated by everyone because of me. What a great message to hear today. 
It's one that says, man, following Jesus is fun. It's good, but it's not free from adversity. The disciples were with Jesus, and Jesus, it says, made them get on the boat. They're in the middle of trial and adversity because they love him and because he loves them. But the difference is he is with us and he is for us. There will be times of hardship and times that we don't understand, but he is with us and we're not alone. That's what this faith journey, faith is so crucial to this. Like, how how do we get through this? Man, I don't know, but I know the one who does. I I don't need to know the next step because it's already ordained for me. I like, I, it doesn't matter what's coming up ahead because I'm not alone. I'm not forsaken. But like, you can face anything when you know there's somebody with you. There, there was a story of a guy that this guy passed away in our last uh, church. He was a man that, that everyone admired, loved him. He got ran over. He stopped in the middle of the, of the road to grab some trash out of the road aboard. A car came over the hill with, carrying, with a horse trailer and hit him. He was telling a story one time that really impacted me. Him and his son, his young son, were on a raft going down a river together. They got into some pretty rough waters and they got thrown out of the raft and they were, they were underwater for a significant amount of time. You know, as a dad, man, your heart just breaks because it's like, they come out, they come out of the water. He's holding his son. They get on the shore. You know, you're, you're freaking out a little bit. And the, the dad, his name was Fred. He, he looked at his son. He said, you okay? He said, yeah, dad. He said, were you scared? He said, no, you had your arms around me. I mean, like, like I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. But when you're in the arms of a father, yeah. it doesn't matter. That's why the identity is so crucial to know that you are a son and a daughter who is in the arms of a father. Not, not some God that's far off that you're trying to please, that you hope everything is okay, that you can't say one wrong word, and then if he comes back before you've repented of it, then you're banished forever. No, you're, you're a son and you're a daughter and you're, yeah. you're in the arms of the father. Yeah. Jesus made the disciples get on the boat so that he could go and pray. In Mark's account of this, the same story occurs in Mark chapter 6 and then also John chapter 6. In Mark's account of the story, he says, Jesus saw them struggling at the oars. Like they, they were sailing to the other side. At this point, the sails were down and they were at the oars. Because that's all that was left to do to try to get to the other side. And it says that Jesus saw them. The first encouragement today in this journey of faith is he sees you. Right where you are, right what you're going through, he sees you. You are not alone. You are not invisible. You are not unseen, unheard, and unloved. My encouragement today is that God sees you. You can be in a storm with winds over the the boat. Jesus can be three to four miles away, which 
this was 3 a.m. when it says that he saw them, 3 to 4 a.m. I don't know how, three to four miles away in the dark, in the middle of the storm, he's up on a mountain and he sees his disciples who are struggling at the oars and he goes to them. So I, I don't know what you're in, but he sees you. Yeah. It, it's humanly impossible to see three to four miles at 4 a.m. with no light in the middle of a storm. Impossible. That tells you it's probably God. You may be running, but he sees you. You may be hiding, but he sees you. Whatever storm you're going through right now, he sees you. I love this story in Genesis chapter 16. It's Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. The promise has not been fulfilled yet for Abraham that, of the descendants that will be as numerous. So Sarah takes her servant, Hagar, to go be with Abraham. She gives him a son. Sarah begins to get jealous of this son and, and of the attention that she's getting from Hagar. So she begins to treat Hagar, her servant, poorly. Hagar runs out to the desert. She's done. She's tired of it. She's done. And out there in the desert, the Lord comes down and he says, I see you. He says, don't worry. I'm going to make your son's descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Like, like my promise is still true. And he says, I see you. And Hagar returns from the desert and goes back to the place she's to be. And I think probably my favorite part out in there is her response. She named the place she had an altar and named it. But she said, I have seen the one who sees. To just get a glimpse of the one who sees. That, that even in the struggle, even in your running, even in your hiding, even in your, your terror, your fear, your doubt, your worry... He sees you. And it, not only that, but you can see him. A glimpse from him will change everything. Number two, second point, the first one was he sees you. Number two is get out of the boat. Yeah. Everybody wants to give Peter a hard time because he began to sink. But up to this point, even contrary to David Blaine, He's the only one that's ever walked on water. The only other human that's ever walked on water is Peter. I mean, what are you going to say to him now, right? Like, okay, I walked. I don't know. I don't know. How, maybe it was 20 feet. Maybe it was three steps. Maybe it was half a mile. I, I don't know. But, but what I do know is he walked on water. You, you can never do what you're supposed to do if you're inside the boat. I mean, a lot of people give him a hard time. Even the disciples, like at the end of it, were like, man, bro, you began to sink. What happened there, you know? The other 11 disciples had an opportunity to get out of the boat, yes, and they stayed in the boat. My encouragement today is, number one, he sees you, and number two, get out of the boat. You were never meant to just be in the boat and be safe and secure. Because even though there's storms all around you, the boat is relatively safe. And he's saying, I want you out of the boat. Peter, I love Peter, says, hey, uh, Lord, if it is you, command me and I'll, I'll come to you. I'll walk to you. And Jesus said, come. 
It was a command. It wasn't like an ask. It wasn't an invitation. It wasn't a, uh, oh, hey, if you would like to, if you have enough faith, he said, come. Come to me, Peter. And he began to walk to him. Faith will call you to do things that others will say is foolish. But when we follow his commands and his calling, all things are possible. He might be calling you to get out of the boat to walk on water, and the rest of the world is going to say, man, that is foolish. What are you thinking? No one's ever done that before. But that's where the possible begins. Everything is possible if you follow his commands. I mean, things that you would think, what are you talking about? But what if you just read the Bible for what it really was, and what if you just took it for every word? What if you just read it and said, man, I'm going to do that. What if you, so you read the passage where Jesus said, hey, you'll speak to that mountain and it'll move it. What if you just didn't go, oh, well, in that moment there, he's being figurative. He was talking about the mountains that are in our path. But what if you said, man, Lord, anything's possible. Right. What if we just quit trying to rationalize and make God smaller and Jesus smaller so that our earthly minds can grasp it? What if we just read it and go, man, that'd be awesome. I mean, what, what if we read the word that says all the things that Jesus said and did? He goes, if you believe in me, then you'll do even greater th things than this. Faith will call you to do foolish things. They're foolish to the world. Yes. You know, may, may, maybe you're deciding to homeschool and you're like, man, what are my parents? What are my parents going to think? Like, what you're homeschooling? What is that? You know, it's like 2022. We have schools that we pay government people to do that. You know, it might look foolish to the world, or or you might be sending your kids to public school, and everyone else around you is like, dude, that's ridiculous. You know what they're teaching in there now? And you say, yeah, I know, but man, the foolish things that the Lord is going to use my son for my daughter for, the people they're going to pray with, the gospel that they're going to share. The, you know, like, you, you can go through all of the things, whatever it is that might seem foolish to the world. If he's called you to it, man, it's going to be amazing. Yes. I mean, like, like, you can have a car that's completely paid off and give it away. And the world would say, why are you doing that? You could use that as your next trade-in. And yeah, maybe it's only worth 3000 but there, there's your down payment. Or you can say, man, I know, it's, I know it sounds foolish, but this, this lady doesn't have anything else. She doesn't have a way to get to her, her job. I don't need that $3,000 anyways. I mean, are, are, you know, I'm going to step away from my job. And the world's like, wait, wait, what are you doing? Like, like that's, that's how you pay for things. That's how, you, how the Lord provides for you. Yeah, but I'm just not supposed to be there anymore. He's called me to something else. When you begin to quit following the rules of society and you begin to f follow the voice of the Father, man, the impossible is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. The, I mean, can you imagine what it would look like to, to just do that, to be Peter? And maybe it's not walking on water, but maybe it's walking out of your job because he's called you to something better, yeah. to something more. What if he's calling you to stay in a relationship that you don't want to? And people are like, man, that's so foolish of you. They've cheated on you three, four, five, six, seven times, and you're still staying? 
And you're like, man, I know, but I'm just supposed to do that. The world leaves in a hurry, in an instant. Relationships gone, thrown away. But if he's calling you to it, imagine the impossible that's going to happen where not only is the marriage restored, but the person is restored. I mean, it's foolishness. Doubt and fear are contrary to faith. The enemy will use these weapons to paralyze you and to keep you from getting out out of the boat. Fear and worry and doubt, all they're trying to do is to get your, just a glimpse off of Jesus. If, if fear and doubt and worry can get you to just, just for that long, look off of Jesus, they've got you. That's why faith is consistently and continually looking to Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't use my phone when I drive, or maybe I, I do. But all it takes is a moment to look at a text message, to look at a football score, to whatever. In an instant, you can be off the road. It's the same way with our walk with Jesus. That's why it's faith is consistently and continually looking to him. He says, don't look to the left or to the right, but look straight ahead. It's like forgetting what's behind me. This is Paul. Forgetting what's behind me, I strain towards the goal for that which is in front of me. Our our faith walk is like, man, right there. Because all it takes is one little glimpse of fear, doubt, and worry, and you're done. Third one, we're, we're wrapping up. Don't worry, fellas. Number three, it's okay to ask for help. Peter is out there, he's walking on water, then it says that he sees the strength of the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, Lord, save me. At House Church, we were talking about this on Wednesday, and and three times, it's four if you go to John's gospel, four times the word immediately is in this passage, in these 12 verses. I've already confessed to you, I'm I'm not a genius, I'm not learned it as people would say I'm not all I know is man if I see four words like that long of words in 12 verses something in my head's going I mean me and Seth were like bro we, we get that right like it, I don't have to have the Lord come and speak to me I get it he begins to sink and it says immediately the Lord reached out his hand I mean that's a whole nother sermon I hear some kiddos crying so don't worry they'll be all right my dad's in there <laughs> that's a whole nother sermon right there immediately wherever you are whatever you're in when you cry out it's immediately he's never late he's always on time it might not be your time but he's always on time his timing is pure and perfect we uh we would rather sink than ask for help. There, I mean, like, I, so much pride in me. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and it's, a, it's pitiful. I would rather sink than ask for help. My wife the other day sent me to go get coconut oil, which, man, 
Try to just go to a basic store for coconut oil, all right? I went to H-E-B. That is a bad choice. I mean, there is olive oil, avocado oil, peanut oil, sesame oil, flaxseed oil. I'm like, grapeseed oil? Who's making that? How do you, the grape seeds are so small. How many grapes did it take to make a jar? Like, I don't get, like, and I'm looking for coconut oil, man. And then there's, you go to the oil, it's like its own aisle in H-E-B. And man, now, you know, like coconut oil, she's in the same store because we have to divide and conquer because I'm ADD. So I'm like, all right, it's a task. What can I do? She goes, go find me coconut oil. I'm like, I don't think that's a thing, babe. Like, <laughs> you're making that up. They, they don't have coconut oil. She's like, go find it. I was like, okay. Come back. Nah, they didn't have any. She goes, did you ask somebody? I was like, I looked, babe. Not there. I don't even think it's a thing. Like, there's so much pride in me that I would rather allow pride pull me down and sink instead of ask for the Lord to save me. And immediately, he will. It's okay to ask for help. We judge so many things like, like failure. We could have viewed that as a failure. Peter began to sink and we're like, man, yeah. He failed in that instance. Oh, Jeff, you moved out to Tyler. You had to move back to Weatherford. Oh, because it didn't work out. Oh, that was a failure. Oh, you started that new job. That didn't work. That must have been a failure. Maybe you didn't hear the Lord on that. Oh, you bought this car. Oh, this went out. Maybe that was a failure. We, we cannot allow the world to define what a failure is because there's never a failure when, you're, when it's a father. When, when, I, when, like when I follow what my father said to do, it's never a failure. It might look foolish, thank you. It might look foolish, but it's never a failure. We allow the world to tell us <laughs> what is failure and not. And like, I mean, can you imagine? I like, seriously, it'd be like someone walking up to my kid because he's not, you know, oh, not going to school, not going to college right out of high school. And, oh, hey, you got to go get your degree and you got to do this, 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 and all of that. It'd be walking up to my kid and going, oh, man, you're really missing out. You should go to college. You know, you're, you're not, you'll make more money. You'll do more things. You'll experience more life. If my kid doesn't want to go to college, he doesn't have to go to college. And that's not a failure because I'm the father. Yes. Dad, you, your role <laughs> I think once we realize what our role is as a dad, man, we, we have to begin to protect our kids. Like, like we are the ones that ascribe the worth over them. We're the ones that say, hey, that's good, that's bad. Not what the world does. This is why we live by faith and not by sight. Because like the world will say that was a failure because they see it as a failure. But we don't live by sight, but we live by faith. I'm going to read one passage. We're, we're getting ready out of this. Wrote the wrong passage down. Don't worry. I know right where it is. Wrong book, but same address. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will, mostly, I will most gladly boast of all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We, think, we equate asking for help with a weakness in man, absolutely. It is a weakness because you were never made for it. For in our weakness, he is made strong. That, that when I tell pride to stop and I don't allow pride to operate in my life, it shows a weakness. But in his weakness, now I'll allow the Holy Spirit to come and move in power. Yeah. He's worthy of our worship. Kelly, you can go ahead and come on up. The, the, la, the, the number four is he is worthy of our worship. When, when Peter and Jesus get back in the boat, the disciples worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Our only response is worship. For he is worthy.